0: This is Paul Nobles from Eat Forum. I am currently sitting here with Sarah Kumar, but she has been forbidden to uh, speak up because there's all kind of interference that's coming through her microphone at this point. And so we may actually have her come in at certain points of the broadcast, but for now, it's been way too distracting. We've actually had to restart the podcast because of it. So what i wanted to start off first of all this is our fundamentals class it is meant for um eat to perform members we have roughly 10 members sitting here that'll be asking various questions and we have various questions that we're going to be getting getting to real soon here but sarah and i are both doing performance focused fat loss and if you're not familiar with eat to perform it's basically where you're eating at a deficit for a short period of time for a specific result. And we had somebody, you know, both Sarah and I are down, you know, five pounds in a couple of weeks, which is, is pretty successful, right? You, you, you know, we're not being too aggressive and we're able to see a result. And so that that's super positive. But what I wanted to really focus on wasn't what we've done in those two weeks. It was what we did the year prior, and that's what I think is the thing that we're really talking about a lot that people are missing because they want to put these two weeks and, and go, oh my goodness, Paul and Sarah are having success because their calories are lower. No, that's not why we're having success. Why we're having success is because we put in a lot of work you know, for a year before we went to this deficit and you know a lot of the times people look at calories and macros and they want to put an emphasis on that as like you know the thing that matters the most and I would argue that it does matter a great deal but it if I were to put a percentage on it I would say that percentage is about twenty percent and the reason why is because when we're talking about metabolism and we're talking about expanding work capacity, what we're really talking about is getting to the gym on a regular basis, making sure that your meal planning is on point, making sure that, you know, whenever there is a priority that comes up, you're able to deal with it. And so, you know, when I talk about you know prioritize and execute when you're sick and let's say you know in this instance actually I am (laughs) I don't know if you hear it in my voice a little bit but I am a little sick right now and so when we talk about what the focus is okay I was currently on fat loss right that was my big focus and that was my priority and then I got sick so now being sick is my priority and so I'm going to do everything I can to get healthy so I can get back to focusing on other things. And this is really what life's about is constantly shifting all these various ideas to your prioritizing, you know, things so they become almost second nature, you know, where you realize i don't put my car keys in the same place it causes chaos whenever i'm looking for my car keys if i don't make sure that i have a, a certain amount of chicken cooked up each each day you know then you know my lunch gets messed up and then i opt for overly convenient foods and so now when you're you know in a period where you're trying to establish a baseline similar to what we teach for most of the time you can get away with things like that a little bit more, but really, that level of, of preparation and prioritizing things really matters. And why it matters is because when you're looking at execution overall, it's very hard. You know, Think of it like you have a gun and you're trying to shoot that gun to hit a target. Well, now all of a sudden you have six targets and it makes it much more difficult. If you could like, you know, get your scope right, you know, aim at the target, you're going to have a much better chance at actually, you know, getting that priority out of the way so you can execute on further things. So I think that that's sort of an important um, process for a lot of people to hear. Also, I'm not sure if you guys are, are listening to the YouTube channel, but You know, we have YouTube.com slash eat to perform. Brad is doing Ask Dr. Brad. We're going to be putting out two to three of those um, coming up here real soon. Pretty cool stuff. You know, really five-minute videos that are real short, you know, allows you to, you know, really kind of hone in on some ideas. This week he did pre-workout and post-workout. I think that's something that people overthink a lot. And so Brad kind of makes it pretty simple, and and I think you guys are going to appreciate that one. So the first question comes from Lorraine and she's saying TDE numbers when should I consider reevaluating been using them since October and I've gained a few pounds since starting but not really seeing the definition. Well one of the things that you know we'd have to look at you know in terms of someone gaining a lot of weight typically What we want people to do is kind of keep that weight gain in the three to five range. Now, if you're coming from a super restricted background and you've just kind of moved to the highest levels, one of the biggest misconceptions of Eat to Perform is just really kind of taking, you know, there's a lot of people that when we first start off and give someone a plan, we ask them what their calories were. A lot of people don't know. 'Cause maybe they were eating intuitively or eating paleo or mostly whole foods or something of that nature. And they were actually eating thirteen hundred and their total daily energy expenditures at twenty two hundred. You don't really want to move to twenty two hundred, you know, super quickly. But I think there's another piece that's really important because one of the people that um there was a gentleman that was talking about, you know, eat to perform and he actually had gained you know, roughly 15 to 20 pounds, but got leaner in that process. But his squat, you know, went from high twos to over 405, you know. And when I think that people think about lean mass and, you know, getting, you know, adding tissue, the amount of strain that you have to have on your overall system is probably a lot higher than most people think. It's not just a matter of adding more food. You know, it's really of add, adding more food and adding more work. And for every single person, that's different. You know, for Lorraine, you know, maybe squatting 405 is not an option. Maybe, you know, hiking tends to be an option. But usually when you're seeing someone gaining weight, they're typically overeating their metabolism. Another example, though, that it came up recently in group coaching that I thought was kind of interesting you know, and once again, we get to this this point of, you know, are the numbers the secret? And so, you know, she, she got her numbers and she was using her numbers and she was defaulting to really more of a higher fat, lower carb way of eating. Yet every single time she introduced carbohydrates, it was favorable as it related to water loss, right? And a lot of people think that water loss doesn't matter. Water loss actually matters quite a bit because when you are rid of that water, your body is going to naturally be a little bit more uh, you know, prone to use body fat as energy. And so getting rid of the water and getting rid of inflammation does have a little bit of a role as it relates to Body fat percentage getting lower, weight loss overall. So, I think a lot of the times, you know, people, it's very hard, you know, as an example, to eat 600 grams of carbohydrates and, you know, lose weight. Now, you might eat 600 grams of carbohydrates on the days that you work out. And then, you know, have days where you're kind of clearing those out. And that's a little bit of what we're we're sort of talking about. But it's really that kind of self-experimentation that makes a difference. Like, for instance, you know, one of the suggestions that I made to her was to lower fats and then, you know, up the carbohydrates and see what it has affects sleep, how it affects workouts, and then ultimately how it affects, you know, um, water release. You know one of the things that we definitely know from a scientific standpoint is that cortisol is favorable, um, you know, for a natural antagonist to, to cortisol is going to be a le- less stressed environment, but also um, carbohydrates and also eating an adequate amount of food. So, all of those things come into play, and what you want is some level of up and down and that's kind of contrary to the way that most people teach a deficit. What they what they you know what they want or what I think a lot of users want is set my calories at X amount of calories and then you know ten weeks later I'm fifteen pounds down. And that's just not how it works. You know and I think that you know can you do it that way and continuously reduce your calories to a point where um, you will end up losing weight, possibly, but you'll also be dehydrated at that process and potentially lose muscle. The way that we're trying to teach it, your muscles are hydrated a lot of the time and you're prone to doing more work at that point. doesn't mean you can't do work on the days where you, do, you know, you don't have bulging muscles but at the same time you know you have to have some level where you're kind of dealing with that overall inflammation because it is favorable i mean that is that is the piece that paleo does have right you know but the part that they have wrong is they assume that any inflammation is chronic inflammation and from a scientific standpoint that's just not true so Kristen is saying, I joined six weeks ago, seeing improvements in strength, but is there an option for fat loss? And is there a certain amount of time to be on EBT e- before focusing on fat and weight loss? Well, you know, as I mentioned, it really does depend on the individual. One thing that I will say is that If you're coming from a restricted background, you are dealing with fat loss by upping your calories and upping your work capacity. You could deal with it more specifically if you did a little bit more hypertrophic type work, unless, of course, you're a new athlete and stuff like that. But a big piece of Eat to Perform is certainly going to be having a certain amount of muscle mass, keeping that muscle mass, and potentially building on that muscle mass. One of the things that comes up a lot is we'll have a client and they'll talk about, you know, I was 150 pounds, um, really struggling to get back to 150 pounds. And then when we look at their body fat information, what we see is that they gained six pounds of lean mass. So all things being equal, their new number is 156. So if you think of it from that standpoint, one of the things that I think is really interesting to people is that muscle mass is very, you know, I'm trying to think of the easiest way to explain it, but muscle mass is going to be something that is highly dependent on both work and food right fat is not as dependent it's it's the moving piece that allows your body to kind of deal with nutrients on a temporary basis right muscle of course is more intensive and you know you're definitely going to need to make sure that that is kind of static and so when we're when we're speaking to fat loss in general some level of up and down is always going to matter so the question to really address what Kristen's concern would be is how long typically we say three months to establish a baseline you go well why is a baseline important Well, once we have a baseline, then we can work off of that baseline. The problem that most people have is, one, they go to a low number. Two, they stick to that low number kind of wishing that it would see them results over time. And they basically are just kind of like banging the same hammer over and over again. And then at the end of the day, they end up being more confused and don't really know what worked, right? If we have a baseline for you, and we can do some level of carb cycling, and then obviously some level of of calorie manipulation as it relates to down, then we are more likely to get you the overall solution. What I think happens for most people, though, is they want to put the cart before the horse. So like she's saying, you know, I'm happy with all this other stuff, but... You know, I really want to see the fat loss. One, muscle gain, even even muscle rehydration, often won't show itself, you know, in the mirror immediately, right? But when you have a hydrated muscle, when you're eating an adequate amount of food, now all of a sudden <coughs> the deficits become easy. That's a little bit what I was talking about with Serenized <laughs> situation because we had focused on muscle mass like in my situation I was able to put on six pounds of muscle mass and in that process put on about four pounds of fat now I can deal with that fat a little bit easier if I had gone from it from the standpoint of the fat first right now all of a sudden my work capacity doesn't get to a point my metabolism doesn't get increased and then I don't end up, you know, making my deficit easier, right? So it's kind of the kind of the juxtaposition of two ways of doing it. One, you're at a high point. The other, you're kind of at a low point and you're just kind of trusting that starving yourself is going to work. You know, hopefully you get there before you fall face first and the cheesecake. Um the other thing about eat to perform that I think is important is that it is highly dependent on you doing work and sometimes a fair amount of work the one thing that I always like to use it's almost an exaggeration is when you're eating 4000 calories and then you cut down to 3000 calories one I mean, you might find that it's a little hard to kind of maintain that level of output depending on who you are. Some younger people can get away with it. Some people, some older people, you know, if they have a lot of work capacity, they can get away with it. But for mere mortals like myself, I'm typically not burning 4,000 calories. But it works to use as an example that if you were burning 4,000 calories and then you were eating 3,000 calories, it's a lot easier to stay adherent to a way of eating the way most of us mere mortals sort of fit is that you know my calories tend to be anywhere from twenty seven hundred to three thousand throughout the year for performance focused fat loss I'll typically set my calories at about twenty two hundred so I'm seeing a five hundred calorie deficit throughout the time and, you know, similar to what we're saying, you know, the goal is just one pound down. We go, well, Paul, you're five pounds down. Why, why are you five pounds down? Well, that relates to the water. I think realistically, I'm right at about two pounds down. And when I look at what so far, I mean, other than the whole my wife getting me sick part, um, so far, things have been going pretty good, and I, I'm feeling okay today. I mean, ultimately, I'm, I'm not, you know, 100%, but I'm probably 80%, you know, much better. You know, yesterday, I think it was probably 50%, you know, ended up kind of laying around and, and, and not doing a whole lot. I'm feeling pretty energetic, might go to the gym today. Um, you know, I don't think I'm at any risk for getting anyone else sick. And so so that's sort of the plan. But, you know, I think that when we're addressing Kristen's question, the question is, is your work capacity high enough to where you can get to a reasonable deficit? For a lot of females, right, they're kind of just barely interested in kind of the calories going up and we'll see their calories get to 1,900 to lose one pound of fat a week or just to lose one pound a week you know your body doesn't necessarily prioritize fat or muscle it's just gonna lose a pound in that scenario for it to lose a pound in that scenario now all of a sudden you've got to be at 1400 calories okay and that's assuming that that's where your metabolism is at and if you're coming from a deficit background that might not be the case so you may need even more of a deficit than that which is why we're saying you can't start from such a low place and when you do start at a low place you become it becomes much more uncomfortable and you're very much less likely to adhere to that the other part part that's really big especially for you new guys is that it's not the dieting that is difficult for most people, right? I mean most of you are here, you've dieted in the past and now you're trying to find a better approach to dieting. Why didn't the last diet work for you? Well the reason why it didn't is because most places don't have a good answer for that reacclimation period and that period is pretty important. And what for myself, as an example, you know, I'm at 182 right now. I started at 187, and I'll try to get to roughly 177. That'll allow me a bounce back of about 180. And even after I come out, so I've probably got about six more weeks of this to get to where I want to be. Once I am done, I'm done. And, uh, It's not, you know, cheesecake and beer time. I mean, I I don't drink, but, you know, I think a lot of people, when they come out of a dieting cycle, they they lose a fair amount of weight and they've denied themselves all the things that they like and they immediately want to jump into, you know, um, you know, eating normally. You really can't. You have to be very careful and... You know, one of the reasons why if you can, if you can do things without going to super extremes, then that reacclimation period can be shorter and then you can kind of, you know, change the intensity of your workouts and stuff like this. I can tell you right now, my workouts are not phenomenal at the moment, you know, so I know once I add food back in the equation, um, there's a number of favorable things, but you know let's say that i get to 177 do you think my you think i can do three more pull ups every minute on the minute do you think i can do you know what i mean like when we're looking at all the things that would be favorable as long as my strength isn't super compromised i mean i you know i expect it to be a little bothered but in general i'm 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 testing it right now and it's testing okay Um, you know, normally I can do kind of heavier work and then, you know, have a little bit of accessory work after that. Not so much right now. And so the other thing that, uh, I I think it's sort of important, it sort of depends on where your level is. But for me, I have to be careful because, you know, the weights that I'm playing with are pretty heavy. And so, you know, when you are eating less than normal you know there is a injury risk and you know your body is not you know sort of prepared in the way that it normally would be so so that's something to kind of keep in mind Kristen's also asking when you're sick for several days in a row should that affect your macros should you be eating your rest day numbers or should it be lower if you're literally doing nothing it depends on what kind of sick you are right so the kind of sick that i am i did not find that i needed to adjust really anything at all um i was doing uh you know my my carbs were pretty higher yesterday i mean i probably wasn't super extreme but somewhere in the 250 grams range um You know, I had things like popcorn, uh, I had oatmeal for breakfast, and I had a big big baked potato for dinner. The carbs are favorable in a lot of scenarios when you're sick because your body tends to want energy density. Typically, your metabolism is going to upregulate so you can kind of, you know, heal your body and such like this. Um... I might be a little dehydrated, you know, it's hard to say, Um, but I have been drinking a fair amount of water. When I'm sick, I don't just drink regular water. I drink water with electrolytes, so the water loads a little bit better. Um, One of the things that Sarah's doing is something that I may implement as I'm going. She's using BCAAs. I typically opt for protein over BCAAs and the reason why is BCAAs are incomplete protein and, and BCAAs are branch chain amino acids. They taste like the most horrific things you've ever tasted in your life. So typically people flavor them and oftentimes they will flavor them with Uh, some kind of sweetener that I typically like to avoid but if it's a short basis you know there are a lot of things that can sort of help you I mean let's be honest when you're in kind of a fat loss cycle what you're really trying to do is manage the discomfort you know a lot of the strategies that I'll often opt to um, you know if I'm going to be you know a little bit hungry I want to be a little bit hungry during the morning time, and not so much, you know, as I'm going to bed, because that's going to affect my sleep. One of the things that's been interesting, other than you know, last night when I was a little bit sicker, uh, the um, my sleep has been really good. Another thing uh, that I wanted to mention with Kristen is if I'm struggling and I'm continuously, like I'm not feeling better, I default to more food. That's how I prioritize being you know, healthy over fat loss in that scenario. I mean, normally fo- performance-focused fat loss might be you know, eight weeks, maybe I would extend it to nine weeks in that scenario. All I know is that my weight is the lowest it's been today. I ate relatively normal. Um, certainly hydration levels always matter. You're not really trying to, you know, <laughs> one of the things that people like, and it does happen on occasion and especially happens for people that can keep a good amount of resistance training in their programming while they're cutting. But what happens for a lot of people, they want to have, you know, lose eight to 10 pounds and they want all of it to be fat. You know, like I said, when my weight gain, you know, six of it was muscle and four of it was fat. And then, you know, you say that to some people and they're like, oh my God, I would never want to do that. That's about the best case scenario. That is almost, I mean, you almost can't do it better than that. You know, um, to be able to put on half a pound of muscle each month for 12 months for a trained athlete is really good. Same can be said the other way. Now, there's always the outliers and the outliers tend to be new trainees. Are there people that can get away with it? I mean, I hope that I'm better at it than I used to be, you know, but what I've learned over time is that the, the slower I can bring it out and the least comfortable I am, the better I would be. And so when we talk about managing discomfort, you know, um, certainly, you know, like I said, mornings. Uh, You know are are the periods where I will eat a little bit less. I actually haven't eaten now. It's 1215. I'll have my first meal once this is done and I'll probably you know break it out to kind of four smaller meals you know which will be like you know um, yogurt with protein. I'll probably do like popcorn and a kombucha and then I'll do something like you know steak. it sort of depends on how I feel. Will depend on whether I'm doing more carbohydrates or more fats. It also depends on um you know whether or not I work out, whether or not I add in some activity throughout the day. So I I'm able to go a little bit on on fuel more than most people, but for you guys it's probably best to, you know, sort of follow a baseline and then branch out from there rather than sort of winging it because you know I will say this normally if I'm working out I might opt for something like Chipotle or I might opt for something like you know rice noodles um, you know noodles and company as an example will have like rice noodles and um, grilled chicken you know when I'm doing performance focused fat loss I don't play that, you know, I want to control as much of it as I possibly can, because I want to get in and out of this as quickly as possible with the result that I want. And for me to be able to control the amount of rice that I'm eating, a baked potato, you know, those types of things, they they those little things show big benefits over time. The other thing that, that you know, a couple of things that You know, I like to have, you know, um, uh, you know, we talked about this on on one of our coaching calls, but uh, sugar-free gum tends to be fairly favorable. Uh, Sarah, you know, drinking the flavored BCAs. Like I said, you know, would I want that to be like something that I'm doing on a daily basis? Probably not. I think Sarah might be doing it on a daily basis right now. Um, It is muscle sparing. And so there's there's almost no negative to it. Let's see. Elise is saying, "When on a rest day, yet doing some sort of low intensity activity such as a walk or hike, do you still use your rest day macros, or do you find a place between active and rest for those days and reserve rest day macros for the do nothing days?" I rarely do nothing. Um, yesterday was really the only. I've actually started. Actually, you know, I'm lying to you guys. I've started to try to do nothing on Mondays, Um, but I tend to like to do stuff, right? And so um, when she's asking me would I do rest day calories, I think people overthink that also quite a bit. Rest days tend to be a day That your body is going to be more reliant on fat than it's going to be reliant on carbs. Doesn't mean your carbs need to be obscenely low, right? And, And actually, there's a lot of instances where we see people go so low and then, you know, they'll see weight go up. A lot of that is because of water retention and they'd have a little bit better result with more moderate carbohydrates on their rest days than they would on you know going super low and i think that's one thing to be real careful of with rest days um if i'm a little bit more hungry on those days i will add in (coughs) excuse me um i will add in more fats maybe maybe instead of having something like sirloin i might have a new york strip um maybe instead of having like lean chicken i might have something like thighs which ups my fats a little bit uh, and kind of allows for my body to kind of be a little bit more fat adapted on that day but your your body is going to be more prone to use fats in those scenarios so I would say that you might want to look at upping your calories a little bit but for a lot of the new people, what they find is, if they can get to a little bit of a deficit, it was sort of it sort of brings me back to Lorraine's original question, you know, when you're seeing a little bit of weight loss or, or weight gain. this is what happens for, I'd say, a good percentage of people with eat form. They work out a lot. Maybe they've come from a restricted background or maybe they were overly reliant on fats. They come to eat to perform. They start hearing about these carbohydrates, and then they're eating carbohydrates and they're working out six days a week, and ultimately their body's kind of trying to figure out how to process those carbohydrates. That's really not how we want people to do it, you know. And in a case like Elisa's saying, where it's a low active day, that's a great day keep those carbs at a relatively low number so you can kind of process some of that and so um, when somebody's seeing you know weight gain and some people actually want to see weight gain they want to you know build some mass stuff like that and I you know I would encourage them to do that but that's going to be more favorable and I would say even in those situations some level of cycling is going to be good because cycling is going to make your body more um, insulin sensitive and so your body's going to be more prone to kind of store carbohydrates in your muscles rather than having the water sit on the outside of the cell (coughs) lisa was following up i recently had a rest day when i really did nothing was worried that my rest day macros were too high i too rarely have known nothing she, she says she also has days where she does um, some low activity. So it's very rare that she just sits around on the couch and does nothing. That, I don't think most people are like that, to be honest with you. And if they are, I would encourage them to try and be a little bit more active. I'm looking at you, Sarah. Um, but yeah, so, so Sarah, as an example, you know, she's dealing with our group coaching clients a lot. So she has a relatively sedentary job, so she's gotta make sure that, you know, she's showing me her her burn right now, which I'm sure is like nothing. Um, And, you know, she would have to be more conscious as it relates to, um, you know, trying to get in some amount of calorie burn. She's showing me her calorie burn is at 763. My calorie burn um, I'm sorry her yeah her calorie burn is 763 and my calorie burn at a similar time of the day is 1112 and I'm pretty sure that I'm going to be going for a walk real soon here and Sarah isn't going to be going for a walk here real soon and so um, the other thing too is I can go for my walk as long as it's not super uncomfortable and come back have my yogurt with my protein and my body is going to absorb those nutrients more efficiently as well and so I'll see less water retention as a result so those are things you want to kind of keep in mind now you know if you're starving you know I'm currently not starving I'm, I'm feeling pretty good you know Um, part of it is probably just kind of like the, the hangover from being sick a little bit, but Kristen's saying, is there a rule of thumb on what we should be using for drinking our macros such as protein and carb supplements? I find it difficult to physically eat the amount of protein and carbs I need daily and just wondering if the supplements are as effective as actual food. Well, That's a really hard question for me to answer because I use supplements different than the way that you use supplements. Typically, I'm more reliant on supplements on the days where I'm eating less and less reliant on supplements on the days that I eat more. And the reason being is that I can fit in more rice. I can fit in more potatoes. I can fit in more steak, you know. So, I'm able to meet my protein macros easier when my calorie point is a little bit higher. Rule of thumb rule of thumb is as little as possible, you know. Um, And I think that it's easy to sort of default to drinking your calories. But when we look at, you know, I mean, for somebody in in your situation that's trying to figure out how to get in enough calories, I mean, and and having your body sort of adjust to that early on supplements will make a big difference for you. But then you start to realize, well, I wonder if it'd be better if I had oatmeal here. And then, you know, voila, you can, you know, Um, actually some of, you know, oatmeal is a great one, you know, People think that oatmeal is overly fibrous. There's a lot of oatmeals that aren't, and you can put protein in your oatmeal, and, and that could be helpful as well. So the general answer is as little as possible, mostly whole foods, just because that's going to be more satiating over time. But if satiety is, is a huge issue for you where you struggle getting in, what I would say is add in more energy dense foods I know that you know energy dense foods kind of have a bad name out there right and I don't think that that's you know realistic for a lot of folks if you can get away with having some energy dense foods it helps you get your macros the thing that you want to always keep an eye on though is weight gain you know are you weight stable and you start to see your weight go up three to five pounds well now we start to realize maybe your body's just not ready one of the things that we suggest to people if they're seeing a little more accelerated weight gain as it relates to adding carbohydrates adding those in post-workout can be a little bit more favorable and then gradually moving things in one direction. The problem that you run into there though, is three months ago, your body wasn't as ready for carbohydrates. Now all of a sudden you're doing a lot more work. Maybe, you know, maybe your weight's actually down five pounds in that scenario. And so people get a little bit concerned about pushing the higher end of, of carbs and even fats you know I think the things that that people don't realize is that when you're eating an adequate amount for what you do they tend to focus on the carbohydrates just because a lot of people are reducing carbohydrates a lot of the time but it's also favorable for eating a fair amount of fat over time too and if I'm you know eating carbs, and that feels right, I'll continue going in that direction. But I can tell you for myself personally, I mean, I'm almost 50 years old, you know. So this idea that, you know, I'm just like, you know, downing, you know, baked potatoes at will and and all this other type of stuff, it's just not true. You know, um, I I do rely on fats a great deal, you know, um, and, and I like to get those. From meats, you know, like I said, you know, chicken. I'll opt for thighs. You know, uh, steak. I'll opt for you know strips or ribeyes, um, fillets, uh, strips, ribeyes, or fillets. You know, it sort of depends on kind of where you're at there, as it relates to you know allowable fats. You know, when you're eating filets and ribeyes, they taste good for a reason. You know, they have a lot of fat in them. And so, you know, the eating, you know, basically it comes down to this. Ribeyes are going to be your fattiest cuts. Filets are second to fattiest. Then strips can be kind of lean. You know, and then strips always have kind of that weird layer of fat that's like, you know, sometimes hard to chew through, um, especially the grass-fed stuff. And then sirloin, as an example, is going to be the lean, the leanest cuts, you know, flanks and stuff like that. You know, you can look into some of those things. You know, um, I believe like flank is okay. You know, I tend to rely on that. I think it kind of sits in the middle of sirloin, and uh, and strips. But you know, don't don't you know, do your own research there. I'm just kind of going off the top of the dome. Um, I think that's going to cover us for this fundamentals class. I hope this is helpful. What I would encourage all of you guys to do is get on as many of these calls as possible. Listen to the podcast. If you're not subscribed to the podcast, you should be. You know, uh, One of the best podcasts we did is What to Do When You're Overwhelmed. Kind of similar to what I talked about earlier, right? Where you want to prioritize things and make sure that you're kind of keeping things in line. And uh, all those things tend to be helpful. But when you're struggling, we have 60 Eat to Perform coaches in the forums to help you guys. And that's what their job is. And so fear not as it relates to reaching out to them. You have to realize every single Eat to Perform coach did eat form at one point. So one of the reasons why we're so invested in your journey is because we actually had success doing the method and we can teach you why we had success. And breaking down these smaller elements, hopefully is sort of helping you guys walk through the process a little bit. So I appreciate everybody being here. Sorry for the coughs and hopefully real soon here, we'll be able to actually let Sarah speak because she has a lot of cool stuff to say as well. Appreciate everybody being here, and uh, thanks for listening to the podcast. Talk to you later.